Hello, everybody. This is Cortland Allen from ndhackers.com, where I talk to the founders behind profitable internet businesses, and I ask them about their stories and about the things that make their businesses successful so that all the rest of us can learn from their examples. Today, I'm talking to Todd Garland, the founder and CEO of an online advertising company called Buy Sell Ads. How's it going, Todd? It's going great. How are you, Cortland? I'm doing excellent. Uh, so if I believe correctly, you started Buy Sell Ads in 2008, and today it's one of the most successful online advertising companies. But I think that term advertising company is somewhat vague because uh, it covers a lot of ground. So can you tell us exactly what Buy Sell Ads is and how it works? Certainly. So, I mean, first things first, advertising is like a dirty word these days. You know, it's almost like a four-letter word. Um, but, um, you know, like the, the basis of the web uh, in terms of how people make money is uh, through advertising. So it actually isn't the worst thing in the world. Uh, obviously, we all love to hate ads that are horrible and the ones that follow us around and annoy us. Uh, but there are a few of us who are actually out there trying to not be those people and enable that kind of behavior on the web. And so that's ultimately how I would actually explain what BuySell Ads is. Uh, we try to promote authenticity through advertising, uh, if, you could, if we can call it that. And all that really means is we work directly with advertisers and uh, publishers, the people selling the access to their audience, to find matches that are actually a good fit for both. And so the ads come through as less of an, of an obtrusion and more of uh, a recommendation, if you will. Cool. And how did you get started doing this? Because I, I think, I mean, just like a little bit of a backstory, I, I once worked with a guy who worked in advertising and we were co-founders. We considered pivoting into like an ad business. And he spent the better part of a day just going over the entire field of you know, advertising and bidders and exchanges and networks and publishing and like all sorts of stuff that like was way more complex than I thought it would ever be uh, being an outsider. And it just strikes me as interesting that anyone would wake up one day and say, I want to get into the ad business. Uh, so how did you make that decision? Yeah, so uh, I, I kind of stumbled into it, to be honest. I, uh, at the time, back in 2007, 2008, I was running a few blogs. I'm a, a front-end developer by trade. So I, I think I might be able to consider myself ancient in terms of uh, building for the web because I, in that uh, time period was when we were transitioning from like table-based layouts to uh, CSS-based layouts. Um, back when like CSS Zen Garden was the thing you woke up to like see what was new the next day. Yeah, I remember thinking CSS Zen Garden was amazing. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, really I was a, a publisher. I was running some hobbyist uh, CSS-related websites, sharing free code samples, uh, learning, using those to really just teach myself and learn the evolution of the front end, of front end development on the web, and advertisers would reach out to me and ask to put ads on my site. And you know, who's going to turn down a hundred bucks here or there? Not me. Um, and so um, that's how I would make some money on the side through those sites. And it got to the point where I was making maybe like I don't know, maybe like two thousand to three thousand dollars a month. And it just felt silly to be chasing advertisers down for like a hundred bucks here, a hundred bucks there, emailing them every month to see if they wanted to renew, coordinating payment sending the ad assets back and, and forth. It just, it, the whole process seemed silly for the amount of money that it was. Not that I wasn't appreciative of that uh, money from the hobby, but um, you know, I was focused on a full-time job. I didn't want to be doing this kind of stuff. It sounds exactly, if I can interrupt, like exactly like what my experience was like running Indie Hackers for basically like the first eight months of Indie Hackers' life. Uh, randomly getting emails from people who wanted to advertise on the site, trying to find a good place to put their ad, coordinating with them on the copy, emailing images back and forth, and then after their ad would run, checking up on them, and then trying to get them to do another ad, et cetera, et cetera. And it just builds up to an incredible amount of time spent just talking to advertisers and getting their ads on the site. So I can identify with you, and this is what, like, you know, almost 10 years later than you were going through the exact same things. Yeah, yeah, no, so, I mean, it's exactly that. And so, um, really, I just set out to, uh, in the most simplistic terms possible, build a shopping cart that would allow you to purchase advertising on websites without having to talk to the publisher. And that's literally what the first version of BuySlides did. Uh, you know, talk about like literally just having the basics. Back when I launched the first version of BuySlides, uh, there were no stats. So you'd pay, you know, 100 to however many thousand uh, dollars for an ad. And you couldn't actually see um, how many times the ad was viewed or how many people clicked on it. You, you had to rely on your own uh, Google Analytics tracking. You know, when a publisher would join the service uh, and I would approve their site in the admin panel, I would like, you know, very quickly go to their site, manually take a screenshot, manually resize it in Photoshop and manually FTP it to a server. You know, so like, you know, the actual initial product was like not as polished as it is today, without a doubt. I think one of the most common pieces of advice that you, you hear people tell uh, 
beginning entrepreneurs is that you should launch with a minimum viable product, MVP, just like a super basic prototype that's so bare bones that you're pretty much embarrassed by it. Uh, just to get your idea out there and test it on the market and make sure you're actually going in the right direction before you end up spending you know months or years of your life building a product that isn't any good. And it sounds like you just did that on your own. Did you like what made you so confident to launch a product that was that was in this kind of shape? Did you know about this advice back then, or did you just kind of stumble onto that path? Well, so um, the assumption that I was confident is incorrect. Um, but um, what I mean to say though is that like. You know, it's really hard. Like, it takes, uh, it's almost like it takes a piece of you to have the courage to, like, actually pull the trigger and launch a business. I mean, everybody is human. Like, you don't want to put your heart and soul into something and then, um, you know, show it to the world and have it rejected. And so I think it's, you know, for many people, it's a really hard thing to get to the point even where they're willing to uh, put their business out there and see if it's going to resonate with folks. And so, you know, I think the other uh, piece of advice there is, like, you know, until it, it's something useful, like nobody actually really cares. Um, so it's like if, if people hate it, like the worst thing that can happen is you don't hear that they hate it because it's that bad that you don't even get any feedback. You know what I mean? Um, and so, you know, I think when people are like trying to, I, I think that's one of the most critical phases of a business actually is that initial just launch of like having the courage to put it out there. Um, you know, when it comes to minimum viable products, having the courage to put something out there that you know isn't your final product. Uh, I mean, like, that's one of the things I love about the web is that you're not like, uh, I mean, you're not in, uh, you're like a different kind of artist. You're not, you know, painting on this piece, on this canvas. And then eventually there is a point at which it ends and you have to go either hang it on the wall or sell it to somebody. It's a, a never ending canvas. And so I think that's the beautiful thing about the web is like, no matter what you put out there, you can continue to improve it over and over again every day. Yeah. It's like the opposite of, of being like a performance artist or a basketball player or something where you basically spend all your time practicing and then you get one shot on the stage and hopefully you don't blow it versus if on the web, you know, you can just continually refine it over and over and over and over until it becomes something good. So it doesn't even matter if it's crappy to start with. And in fact, it's, it's probably, you know, another reason it doesn't matter is because there's so few people, like you pointed out, using it at the beginning that no one really cares. Exactly. So I think... Another interesting thing about how you started Buy, Sell, Ads is that you were really solving your own problem. And I think the first thing to come to people's mind in that situation is, let me just fix this for myself. You know, I'm running these, these blogs. People are paying me, you know, paying me to put ads on my site. Why don't I just automate this process for myself so it's easy for me? And it seems like you skipped over that step and just went straight to step two, which is, why don't I make a business out of this and sell the solution to everybody else in my situation? How did you make that decision? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I, I feel like I had a, a series of uh, realizations along the way before I got to that point in like a, a very general or broad sense. Like, um, you know, I would have these ideas, but they would turn out to be like really small ideas. Um, so, for example, one of the hobbyist sites I was running, like literally the entire idea was to build CSS based menus, release enough out there for free where uh, I would be able to generate a lot of traffic and then at some point release premium versions thereof and try and make money. And it's like, you know, when you think about like building a big business, uh, that's like on the scale of big ideas, that's probably like a, a negative five. <laughs> and so, you know, I, but I think that's um, that kind of progression. Like you don't have to like come out of the gate saying like, I'm going to start the next Uber and, and you know, change transportation uh, for the world. You know what I mean? Like, um, I think it's okay that you have a series of these smaller ideas that eventually, uh, you keep thinking to yourself, well, that didn't feel quite big enough. What's the next one? What's the next one? And, and, um, I think a lot of, uh, you know, younger folks, uh, go through that. And I think that's really, really good because it, it forces you to continuously reevaluate like how you're, you know, sizing up an opportunity really. Um, and so what was the question again? I lost my well, train of was there Was there a phase when you were running, because you're running basically these two, these two blogs on front-end development where you're doing advertising, uh, these two websites. Was there a phase where you decided, okay, managing these advertisements by hand is, is too painful, so I'm going to automate the process, and you wanted to build something like, for, like that for yourself uh, before you decided that you wanted to sell this to other people? Or did you go immediately into the realization that, hey, if I build you know, this platform for managing advertising, then I could sell to others rather than just use it on my own websites. Yeah, so I mean, I use myself as the test case, but interesting fact, I actually sold one of the websites about two months before I launched Buy Sell Ads. Nice. 
Um, and so at that point, I think I had, uh, I was far enough along with the product development where I was like, you know what, like what matters more is me focusing on doing this for other people than like trying to make it only work for myself. Um, at that point too, I had had a landing page up. This is like landing pages 101 from like, uh, the year, uh, when was that? 2007 from like 2006 old school landing pages. Yeah. Old school landing pages. It's like the advice was put a one pager up that is pitching your idea short and sweet, you know, not like, you know, so you're not scrolling like very, very short one pager and just have a call to action at the email, uh, a call to action at the bottom, which is like, you know, be the first to know about when this launches or uh, learn more, put in your email address. So I had that live for about a year, and what I would do is um, I would go out and buy ads from other uh, blogs and sites, directing folks to this page. Um, and I like, you know, was cl- so I was collecting email addresses along the way, gaining confidence in that uh, the idea had more depth than just for my own sites. And so by the time I was actually ready to launch, I had a decent amount of validation where I, like I felt like this could actually do something. You know, interesting. So can you describe that process of, of how you? how you got, you know, these initial signups and you validated this idea? Cause it sounds like a lot of work went into it. So it might sound like more work than it actually was, especially in today's world, because you know, you can go to MailChimp or campaign monitor, both customers are out. So maybe I'll see if I can get them to pay me for that. Uh, that mention. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, and like you can spin up an email signup form within, you know, let's say 30, 40 minutes and you can go to, this is great plug all the advertisers that work with us. Uh, you can go to Wix, you can go to Squarespace, you can go to um, whoever else advertises with us that has have has those uh, website builders. And you can get something that's probably less than 10 bucks a month and literally just type ideas into a pre-formatted template because like, when somebody's looking at a one-pager, it's not like you need to go through the process of having this amazing logo and like all you know this amazing branding and all this kind of stuff. You don't need any of that. Uh, I mean, it look, needs to look good enough so that somebody believes it and will put their email address into it. Um, but it's more so the idea that you're trying to connect with the person on than uh, the brand and all this other stuff, right? Like, you don't have to come out of the gate being, you know, the next best thing from Silicon Valley um, that's ready to raise a Series A, you know? Um, you can start much smaller than that and much quicker than that to try and validate ideas. And so what I did was essentially that, just with, like, not those tools uh, back back then, and then I bought some ads against um, the, to drive traffic there with publishers who had the audience I believed would be you know most interested in the idea, and that's literally the extent of it. I actually never did anything with those email addresses, which is you know obviously stupid, but <laughs> you just collected them and yeah, it was it was a dead end. But it was just me trying to validate the idea. It wasn't a lot of money, right? Like I mean, I probably spent maybe like I don't know seven eight hundred bucks um, over the course of like eight months or however long it was. Yeah, I think you mentioned all these excellent tools that people can use to collect email addresses. And I think because things like MailChimp exist and things like Wix exist and Squarespace, you're right. Like the process of putting up the landing page is, is the easy part. And as long as you don't get bogged down in irrelevant stuff like spending weeks coming up with the perfect name or the perfect logo, uh, which you can always change later, then you can just focus on driving traffic to that landing page, which I think is the hard part, no matter what day and age that you live in. Uh, and it sounds like you had a cool strategy where even though you didn't end up using the email addresses you collected, you what did you do? You, you bought ads and directed them at publishers to get them to sign up. I did. Yep. So I bought ads on publisher websites that were like you know that other publishers would frequent, and that was literally the, the strategy. So this is like this is even before kind of the the influx of inbound marketing and the other techniques um, that are um, being used on the web today. So um, kind of the progression of the story of Buy Slads is that actually after I started working on the idea in 2007, I went to work for HubSpot full time. And so I actually worked at HubSpot for almost two years before I left. And so, um, and the reason why I bring up HubSpot is like they were one of the main companies uh, that helped uh, steward the uh, idea and process and strategies behind inbound marketing that we see prevalent on the web today. And can you describe to us like what what is inbound marketing? Totally. So um, instead of um, you know uh, buying ads everywhere and like uh, doing a lot of outbound cold calling or cold emailing or uh, intrusive uh, strategies to get customers to come to you, instead you're you're pulling them in uh, with. Uh, things you're doing on the internet that are creating value. So perfect example, which is a lot easier today than it was before. Like, I mean, you can 
immediately jump into conversations with intelligent people on Twitter. Most of the time, not everybody on Twitter is intelligent. Let's get that straight. But um, you can put yourself out there and put your ideas out there and um, get involved and uh, you can get noticed that way. Um, you can you know, uh, go on to Medium and, and uh, start writing some posts on things that you're passionate about where you can like either teach people something new or do something that helps them provoke thinking or, or, or look at uh, things differently. Um, there are tools out there where you can go and basically use these the the idea behind inbound marketing of of um, you know kind of sucking people into your uh, your world per se. So you're you're working at HubSpot for two years, acquiring all this information on inbound marketing and how to drive customers to your website. You're putting up on the side you know a landing page for buy sell ads, which is this, this idea you have for basically an, an advertising marketplace or an advertising network. Uh, and then at the same time, you're driving traffic to that landing page by buying advertising that appeals to publishers, which is people like me and indie hackers who have a website where we need to host ads. And what did your ads look like? How did you know where publishers hung out and how did you, you know, devise ads that would catch the eyes of publishers and convince them to check out buy sell ads? Yeah. So back then uh, people actually clicked on display ads. Um, (laughs) What a quaint time. Yeah. So this is like the ancient uh, web where people actually paid attention to ads a lot of the stuff I could actually probably find in archive.org, but it was literally as simple as like buy, sell ads, online advertising for publishers uh, or buy publishers for publishers, be the first to, to find out when we launch. It was literally something as like seemingly pathetic as that, really. Super straightforward. Yeah, it was just very straightforward. Um, but again, like, you know, the, the core message that we tried to hammer home on that initial uh, buy slots landing page before anything ever existed is actually still true today. It's like, you know, we are here to help quality advertisers get placed on quality publisher sites and help everybody avoid the black hole that is online advertising today. Um, and so it's just this, it was this like very authentic, transparent marketplace that we set up to create. And that really hasn't changed. Okay. So can you walk us through how at this time, you built buy sell ads because I assume I assume that you know on the side of having this landing page up, you're actually going through the you know doing the hard work of building out the platform. And like you said earlier, it was kind of bare bones. But how long did it take you to go from idea to something that customers could actually use? And you know what was that process like? What programming languages did you use? Did you hire other programmers to help you out? Did you do it all by yourself? Sure. So uh, I'd say it took about a year, um, which maybe today feels like a really long time, but I don't think it's like horribly long. Um, still today. And, you know, that's really just kind of pecking away at the idea off and on. Um, the, uh, inter- interestingly enough, the, um, so I'm a front-end developer by trade. I'm not like a, an actual programmer or uh, software engineer. I was using an Adobe Dreamweaver plugin called Interact. Um, I believe it was this company out of Romania that was later acquired by Adobe. Um, but uh, effectively, it was like a PHP framework embedded within Adobe Dreamweaver 4, if I'm getting the version right. And quite literally, that is what I built the first version of Bicel Ads on. So picture actually showing that to a real engineer, a real software engineer developer <laughs> for the first time, and then thinking to themselves, like, what on earth have I gotten myself into? Um, and so, you know, I think the lesson there is that, like, there's nothing, like, noble or uh, required about having like the the best code that actually makes things work until you get something out there that can be validated on some level. So like regardless of the fact that like it was probably one of the worst built applications in the history of the web, that didn't matter because the core problem that I was solving for, for people is what was relevant there, not the quality of the code behind the app. Um, and so... Um, you know, that first version was literally just myself. It was PHP, MySQL, your traditional LAMP stack. You know, I remember the first um, couple weeks uh, when you'd sign up on the site, it would, uh, you know, send you a welcome email and it would have your password in that email saying, like, thanks for signing up. And somebody emailed me and said, well, you know, like, you can't do that. I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. You know, so I changed that right there, you know. So, um, like, we weren't using version control. It was just me, like, manually editing and uploading things onto the server. It was very, very, very non-developer-esque, I guess you'd say. So Sometimes I forget how, how long ago 2008 was. Yeah, I mean, like, in, in terms of, like, building for the web, it's, like, light years ago. Like, there's so many, like, today you could build that same exact thing without actually custom coding anything on your, on your own, I believe. Um, like, there are uh, 
like companies and, and tools and software out there where you can like visually build something of the significance that limited significance that Biosolids was for version one without actually touching code. Without having to spend a year hacking it together. Uh, I like what you said also about, you know, the importance of, of code quality or the lack thereof. And I think uh, what it comes down to for a lot of people is just knowing what advice to take and when advice is relevant. So for a lot of people listening who are considering building an internet business, uh, you might be a software engineer, in which case you probably follow other software engineers on Twitter and you read software engineering blogs and you have software engineering coworkers, and you get software engineering mailing lists, and they're all talking about how to be a good software engineer. And they give you like these giant lists of best practices and exactly you know what you should do. And then when you go to start a company, it's really hard to put that advice in context, where you know being the founder of a company is not the same thing as being a software engineer. It doesn't matter that you write the most you know A plus bulletproof, beautiful code on the first iteration of your product if your product sucks. <laughs> you know? And I think a lot of people spend a lot of time worrying about little things like that. In a way, it's a, it's a, it's a form of procrastination. You, know, you stick around the things that you, you feel comfortable doing and the things that are easy for you. For a lot of programmers, that's programming. For other people, that might be different things. And then you don't actually do the thing that matters, which is like making sure your product is something that people want and that they know about it and that they can use it. Yeah, so another example I'd chime in there with is like fast forward from 2006, 7, 8 till today, the depth and variety of, I don't know how we want to classify them, but maybe we'll just call them microservices that exist out there today, right? Like even look at somebody like uh, Facebook or Twilio or uh, Uber using something like Twilio to send out text messages and manage some of their uh, two-factor authentication or whatever, right? Um, I don't know specifically what each company uses from Twilio, but the fact that they like are companies that have thousands of engineers but still don't think it's valuable for them to solve some of these uh, problems is is very representative of how people should uh, approach how they manage the time that they spend building the app and trying to solve the problems of their customers. It's like people don't use Uber to get like really fast text alerts when their cab's going to arrive. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's not core. Exactly. And so like you have to abstract away all the things that don't actually matter to that core value that your customers are getting from your business um, and let other people deal with that. Even if you like it's a pet project or like you really want to do it. Like I can remember back when we at one point at Bicelad started building like a support application because like I wanted to, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like the silliest thing. And, and you know, there are so many things that we spent time building way back in the day that have zero relevance to our business today, weren't our core competency, and we should have pushed off to third parties. And I think, um, you know, when uh, when anything like that is in question, err on the side of not doing it if it's not core to your business. Yeah, and it's it's so tempting to do stuff like that, but it, and it's so hard to resist because you can come up with a million justifications in your mind for why you need this feature or why you need to you know, build your own homegrown solution. Like I built the Indie Hackers Forum from scratch. Why did I build the Indie Hackers Forum from scratch? I can't tell you. I just wanted to, I just wanted to do it, you know? But it's funny because it's actually, the more constraints you have, like let's say you're not a programmer, well then you can't really be tempted to build something on your own just to use your programming skills, right? If you're actually paying someone else to do all your coding for you because you're not a programmer, you're probably going to be a lot more judicious in what you have them build. Or if you're low on money, you know, if you're a bootstrapper and you don't raise a ton of money, you're probably going to be a lot more focused on finding customers and delivering value. So I think there's something to be said for having yeah, constraints. Totally. But anyway, so now you've launched Buy, Sell, Ads, back to your story. Uh, you've got your first customers coming in the door, which apparently weren't people from your email list because you just threw the email list away. How did you find your first customers? How did you get people, you know, publishers and advertisers signed up? Yeah, so... Uh I had maybe, I want to say like eight to 10 advertisers that I'd been working with on the sites that I owned. And so basically I went out there and looked for other sites where they were spending money. And for the advertiser, the value proposition to them was that instead of contacting, you know, 10, 20, 30 publishers each month to manage these ads, you can now do all of that through this one simple little tool called buy, sell ads. Uh, on the publisher side, it was a very similar approach. It was like, um, you know, instead of talking to eight to 10 advertisers a month and trying to coordinate all these different things and, and collect the money and all that kind of stuff. You can do all of that very simply through this uh, nice little platform called buy, sell ads. And so it was really that, like I, I went out, found publishers where my advertisers were advertising, tried to convince them to use buy, sell ads. Uh, when they'd say no, I'd try to convince their advertiser to use buy, sell ads. 
to help kind of leverage them into buy sell ads. Um, and ultimately, once I got both parties at the table and, and using the application, I just worked my butt off to make sure that they're incredibly happy. Another thing I did early on, uh, I don't want to say like because I was smart, I just kind of like didn't hadn't built the functionality yet. As a publisher, when you wanted to withdraw money from buy sell ads, you had to send me an email. And as an advertiser, when you wanted to cancel an ad on a publisher's site, you had to send me an email. And so, like, I mean, both of those things sound completely ridiculous right now because, like, you know, I don't know. It's like, I don't want to have to do that to do that. But back then, for whatever reason, that worked out really well uh, because that forced these people to interact with me. And once I was able to get them in an email thread, I could then ask questions to help better understand how I could make the, the product and the service better. It sounds like, you know, I'm not sure if you're aware of it at the time, but you know, building something, you know, this two-sided marketplace where you've got publishers on one side and advertisers on the other, and it's not really a useful service unless you have both of them, is kind of a notoriously difficult problem to solve. And it sounds like you solved it by kind of bootstrapping the advertiser side of it, since you already had those relationships with your previous websites, and then basically pounding the pavement and using connections and asking for intros to get the publishers up to snuff. Exactly. Um, I mean, you know, back in 2007, 2008, uh, I mean, even today I'm still a nobody, but back then I was like really a nobody. Um, and so it's like, why should you believe this guy who's in your email box with your money? You know, it's a really like uh, provoking question. Like how on earth are these publishers and advertisers trusting me? And I think the, the answer is that like they had a real problem they needed solved and, you know, the risk of their money not being handled properly or, or something not going right is a risk they're willing to take. And so, um, you know, I think with any, or product, any product or service that you're trying to start from scratch, uh, ultimately, like many times you're asking your customers to take risks in working with you. Um, and, uh, you know, you just have to take those things very, very seriously and, and quite literally stop at nothing to make sure that these people are, are, are seeing value. Um, that doesn't mean that, uh, you know, the, the traditional, like, you know, customers always right holds true. Like there are times when you have to break up with customers, but for the vast majority of, of, uh, interactions, like you just have to work really hard for these people and they'll appreciate it. And what were your goals at this point in time? Like what was going through your head as you started to realize that, Hey, you know, people are actually appreciating what I'm building and they're using the product and I'm, I'm making money, presumably, uh, were you thinking I'm going to, you know, grow this thing and build a huge business? Or were you thinking like, Oh, this is nice. You know, like I just want to keep going. Yeah, so I mean, you know, admittedly, um, I have a very lemonade stand like uh, outlook on business where it's like um, step by step, uh, slow and steady wins the race kind of thing. I did have a, a gentleman at one point who was uh, advising me on the business uh, once I had left HubSpot after about a year of running by Salads nights and weekends. You know, he was taking me around to a lot of venture capital companies around Boston and it just like it, for whatever reason, it just didn't feel right to me. Um, it was uh, number one a foreign concept. Like until I started working at HubSpot, I didn't even know what venture capital meant. That doesn't mean that even today, like I don't appreciate the idea of uh, dramatically accelerating the growth of a business or having enough funding to really see through uh, an idea. Like I mean, like HubSpot, right? Like these guys literally had to raise a hundred million dollars before they, uh, you know, could be at the scale or trajectory that would then uh, return incredible profits. You know. Um, I think even today they're, I mean, I don't know, they're public. I, we could probably find out, but like, um, they may or may not be profitable. I don't even know. Um, my point is, is that, you know, with buy, sell ads, uh, for me, uh, the slow and steady approach wins the race has been kind of how we've always operated. I don't have delusions about like building, um, you know, the next Facebook, like I'm accepting of, uh, our, uh, place and our, uh, fate and our, ability to make our own decisions being a, a bootstrap company and, and grow at our own pace. Um, sometimes that means uh, slow. Sometimes that means fast, right? Like uh, I think 18 months ago, we were 16 people today. We're 32. And I think we have like five or six positions open right now. Um, we very well could be 50 plus people before the end of the end of the year. And um, that isn't necessarily what I'd set out to create though. You know, like all I ever want to do is on the advertiser side, help figure out how I can, uh, enable those companies to grow more quickly through user acquisition. And then on the publisher side, how can we make these guys more money and reward them for the, the authentic and genuine work they're putting into building their own audiences? That's really as simple as it is for me. So it sounds like even from the beginning, you were just the idea of raising a whole bunch of venture capital and, and trying to grow as fast as possible wasn't even really on your radar. 
But what was on your radar? I mean, did you really want to be a founder? What was motivating you? Because starting a business is not an easy thing to do. And, you know, obviously you could have, you were working other jobs at the time and you could have just gone that path or you could have stuck with your website. Were you motivated, you know, to be your own boss or to make a lot of money or to build like an enduring brand or some combination of these things or, or something different? I'd say it's a variety of things. I mean, I think number one, uh, just like a very primal instinct of like wanting to feel overall security in life, um, which uh, in 2017 means having enough money to pay your bills and, and like um, not feeling the, the crunch of, of living month to month. Um, and so I'd say, you know, a combination of, of that kind of primal instinct that I've always had since being a, a child to genuinely enjoying building software. Like I love it. Like, um, although for the last, I'd say 18 months or so, I haven't, I don't think I've actually committed code for buy slides, which is really upsetting for me. Um, because I love, I love building stuff, but you know, and then also just like, um, I don't know. I mean, I really enjoy the people that work at buy slides. I enjoy working with them. I like, we're trying to create a company where we could all actually work here for our entire lives. And I'm sure that sounds stupid or crazy or like, Oh, good luck with that buddy. But that's just what I like to do. I, I love going home to my family at night. I love going to work and, um, seeing, uh, and helping people around me succeed as I can, um, and, uh, learning from them what I can. And that's just, I don't know, maybe it's, um, not as heroic as, uh, as many, uh, or heroic enough to turn us into a, you know, some huge business, but like, that's just what I enjoy. Now, I think that sounds not at all stupid or, or unambitious. I, I mean, number one, it's, it's not easy to build a company that stands the test of time and is around for decades. Uh, even like, I think if you look at like the top hundred companies from a hundred years ago, it's like a small handful of them still even exist. And these like the top hundred custom companies like of all time, you know? So like even like for smaller companies, I'm sure it's much harder to stick around. So in these early days, you, you know, you were kind of thinking, okay, I want to build something that's going to last. I want financial security. And we were just having a discussion about this the other day on the Andy Ackers Forum. Uh, it was a thread I made called What Motivates You? And then someone asked me, you know, is it, is it okay not to be motivated by, like, the mission of the company? Because I think the most cliche thing in Silicon Valley, at least, is every single body, every single person thinks, you know, my company's changing the world, and that's 100% of why I wake, <laughs> up, why I wake up at night. And it's like, well, you know, if you stopped getting that paycheck, would you still go to work? You know, would you still do this? And the answer is probably no, uh, at least, you know, for a lot of people. But, you know, there's also with what you're doing with buy-sell ads. Like, you guys actually are taking a very different approach to advertising. And somebody asked me this question, I want to ask you this question, same question, too. They said, do you think that you could have built, you know, a successful company by only focusing on, you know, like the personal lifestyle goals of wanting to be, you know, financially independent or secure? Do you think that you have to have a mission-driven company? How does that apply to you at buy-sell ads? Yeah, so, you know, I think I can tie this up pretty nicely in my own mind anyway. So this morning, ironically, I was writing uh, a code of conduct for buy-sell ads. And all that really means is like, uh, here's how I expect everybody on the team to carry themselves in their interactions with each other, with people outside the company, uh, in any kind of public settings, yada, yada, yada. And it wasn't because we had some like something bad happen. It's because uh, I felt as though we're getting to the point, 32 people likely going to be uh, many more over the course of the year where we need to have some kind of like basic foundation established uh, of how we carry ourselves as people who are uh, inherently representatives of the company. And so I look at it like this, right? Like, I mean, let's be honest, the vast majority of people, you're not changing the world. Like, I hate to break the bad news to you. It sounds lovely. It, you know, it, it's like, it's, it sounds so great to say like, I'm changing the world. And, and maybe that feels good inside you, but I, can promise you without a shadow of a doubt a million times more rewarding is quite literally just figuring out how to improve the per the life of the person next to you. Um, and so one of the things that I wrote in the code of conduct was like, first things first, like my, my father, uh, wasn't in the military, but he went to military college. And one thing I noticed growing up was that every single morning his bed was made and it was made damn well. Right. Uh, and like, I never, uh, got the chance to talk to him about why he th did that so religiously every single morning. Um, but what I have kind of uh, been able to like take out of uh, that observation uh, from my childhood uh, w was that he, every morning he woke up, made his bed very nicely. And that was his way of making sure that like, or, or of establishing a foundation for the day from which he could then build upon. And so I think the analogy there is that like, 
if you can't get your own life in order, like you're not going to change the life of somebody else's, of the, the lives of, of other people. Um, if you, you know, you're not going to change the world unless you can get your own life in order. And so that's why I wholeheartedly believe that like, um, you know, I think it's fine for a company to have this mission of changing the world. Um, but the vast majority of, of people on this earth are just not going to be able to participate in something that grand. And so, uh, like, let's just make that a lot more simple and like, I mean, try and change the life of the person sitting next to you first. You know? Yeah, and I think there's um, something kind of sad about a lot of companies trying so hard to change the lives of like a billion people and failing and, and really like helping zero people when <laughs> instead, you know, when instead they could have helped maybe a thousand or 10,000 people, which is still an awesome feeling, you know, even just teaching, like I teach my friends to code pretty regularly and just teaching like one friend how to code and then watching them get a job as a programmer or before they had like a worse job is like tremendously rewarding. So another cool thing about buy sell ads is that I think you know people who are trying to get into you know entrepreneurship and starting a business one of the biggest hurdles that they run into is okay I'm super you know jazz I'm ready to go I just don't have an idea to work on and I can't come up with a sufficiently unique and cool and world changing idea whereas a lot of the people that I talk to have been successful like yourself I don't want to say bad buy sell ads is a bad idea it was obviously a great idea but what made the idea great was not its novelty. You know, people were buying and selling ads before buy sell ads came through. And so, I, you know, how did you how did you think about the competition when you first started the company, and what gave you the confidence to say, okay, this is what I want to do, even though you know there already are existing players in this market? Yeah. So a couple things. So uh, first things first, the best advice I ever received to your um, uh, comment about um, you know a lot of entrepreneurs wanting to start a business but don't know what to start, go work for somebody else. Uh, let's say the idea for buy sell ads had never popped into my mind. But from working at HubSpot, like I learned so much from those guys just in the two years that I was there that I guarantee you if it weren't buy sell ads, it, was, it would be something else that I, I had learned more specifically, specifically at HubSpot that I could have taken and turned into a real business. In fact, I think quite a few folks I worked with have quite literally ju- done just that. Like So many of them have now started their own company. So if you don't know what to do, go work for somebody else. You'll learn a lot in the process and uh, you won't regret it, I promise. Um, unless you work for a crappy company, but anyway, <laughs> unless the company makes your life terrible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and but you, then, you didn't hear that advice here. You heard it, you heard it somewhere else. <laughs> and um, but to your uh, the the latter part of the the question there, I mean, everybody loves David and Goliath story. Um, you know, obviously at the time in two thousand seven two thousand eight there was Google AdSense uh, back then. Uh, AdBright um, was the thing. Uh, a lot of other. Um, ad tech companies, there was federated media, which was a thing back then. Um, and really, I just, I've always enjoyed the idea of like being the little guy to take on the big guy. Um, and so the idea of there being competition that could, you know, uh, quote unquote, squash me at any time, just makes the challenge uh, all that more interesting. And, you know, like, even if I look at Biaslabs right now today, like I could, I could tell somebody a couple ways that could uh, be a, a pest for us along the way. Um, you know, every big company has blind spots and things that they're not doing well, customers that are being underserved. And so, you know, the idea that these uh, large companies are a reason not to start a company, uh, it's actually the exact opposite. Um, it's like, well, because they're large, that means they're vulnerable. Um, they're going to be moving slower. And like, you know, they're not going to crush you unless you actually do something meaningful. So like, if they do want to crush you, that's a great thing, because maybe their competitor will acquire you as well. So Forget the big companies. I like that quote. They're, they're not going to crush you unless you actually do something meaningful. In other words, if, if you get to the point where the bigger companies are taking note of what you're doing, then like you're already, you're already winning. <laughs> you know? That's already a good place to be in. And if you don't get to that point, then like it's not because of the competition. 100%. Um, now, along the way, we also had a lot of like smaller competition very similar to us in size. Um, and I don't know how to describe that other than like, you know, the second you start following them is the second you've lost. And if you notice them uh, following things that you're doing, like, don't just don't let it distract you. Keep doing what you're doing. Why is that? Why is it that that copying the competition means that you've lost? So, I mean, um, you know, uh, if as long as we um, can avoid like the Facebook, Instagram references and all that or uh, Facebook, Snapchat references and all that kind of stuff, like I'm talking like much smaller companies, like beginning by slides kind of size, like let's say sub $10 million in revenue. Every, every company, every product, like you need some kind of uh, vision 
at the company that is consistently being communicated and driven forward. And the second you get to the point where you're not getting a large portion of that vision from customers you're working with and getting feedback from and instead turning towards your competition and uh, trying to take pages out of their playbook is the second you've lost because like anything that your competitors are releasing is probably something they've been working on for let's say maybe two three months at minimum and so bare minimum you're at least two to three months behind in like a fast-moving space like tech for a lot of things at the very beginning of a company two to three months is actually a, a decent amount of time it reminds me of uh, like uh, my brother when he was young. He wanted he's a pretty good singer, and he always wanted to be a singer. And he always tried to sing like Michael Jackson. And my dad would always tell him, "If you attempt to sing like Michael Jackson, then like the best that you can ever be is Michael Jackson." You know, assuming you perfectly, you can never go past that. You know, like obviously that analogy is kind of weird because like it wouldn't wouldn't be too bad to sing as well as Michael Jackson. But like you're saying, if you're like a smaller company, you know, like you're never gonna beat your competitors by just copying everything that they do. You'll just be behind them. Totally. You know, I'm curious, like beyond the fact that you, you weren't worried about the competition, what was it about buy sell ads that helped you stand out from the competition? Because it's it's not enough just to, you know, not care. Like you have to actually differentiate yourself and, and be something that people choose over the competition. Even to back up for a second, like I mean, I definitely worried about competition over the years. I definitely had times where uh, I reacted to things that they would do or I would let myself get frustrated uh, at certain things they would do. Um, I think it's totally natural for people to get emotional about those things and like uh, have frustration and you know go down that path of like trying to peek behind the covers of the competition. You know, are there any examples like that stand out of like something the competition did that kind of shook you up or changed changed your course? I, I think anytime you feel like something you've done has been copied, it's like a it's a, it's a very emotional thing as a founder uh, or as anybody writing code or, or like building something, and so. You know, my, my best advice there is like quite literally nothing you say or, or do is actually going to matter. I mean, unless you're in situations where there's like trademark or copyright or other kind of like legal issues like that uh, or patent issues, like literally nothing else other than that matters. And so those times where you feel, and I'll see this on Twitter for, from time to time, um, I, I feel like I saw something this past weekend where like there was a founder like getting into it with another founder on Twitter and it's like, what, what are you actually going to accomplish there? Quite literally nothing. So, like, take whatever time you're spending uh, getting frustrated or hung up on uh, things from the other side and use that time to focus on your customers. Without a doubt, like, nine times out of no, 10 times out of 10, that's going to pay dividends. It sounds like you're speaking from experience. Like, like people copied features or, or aspects of buy sell ads in, it, in the past. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's frustrating, uh, 100%. And, it, and it's going to happen. So, like, if, the thing you're doing is being successful or is becoming successful, that's going to happen to you. Just to give you an actual example, back in the, the very early days, like uh, a buy slide script would start showing up on these uh, websites where you could like purchase uh, scripts is what they would call it, you know? Um, so like you could literally, and it would be in the buy slides design and everything. I think in the first couple of years, things like that would annoy me, but eventually I was like, that's a that's just a sign of respect. We've built something here, folks. This is great. Uh, people want to be like us, you know. So, um, uh, but that's that's just one example. Uh, but those like getting hung up on stuff like that is a waste of time. One of the things you mentioned earlier that was like really that kind of set buy sell ads apart from other people was your focus on publishers. So I think you said the ad that you fo- you you put up, you know, initially it was like for publishers, by publishers, etc. Uh, how did you know that that was something that people would care about? You know, and how did you decide to make that your selling point? You know, that's a great question. I, I don't actually know. I mean, like I, um, and I think, you know, one of the reasons why we were successful uh, is uh, because clearly other people weren't focusing on publishers as much as we were. A lot of folks who work at Buy Slides have, are also or have also been uh, publishers or have sold ads on their own personal sites in the past. Um, so we have a lot of like, you know, uh, built up. Uh, experience at BSA in general with selling ads uh, for a living. And then, um, you know, over time as well, like it evolved to be somewhere on the advertiser side, like, you know, where we're like genuinely uh, involved in um, trying to make sure that these folks are acquiring, acquiring users profitably. And I'm curious, like, is that something that, you know, is that still the same today? Is that like what you would say the main selling point of buy, sell ads is? Or has that, has that changed over time as you've talked to you know, different customers and find out what you can do better than other people. Yeah, so I mean, it's definitely one of our core tenants today still. And I think the best example of that is uh, 
a company or a business like AdSense, right? Like if you've ever, ever been a publisher trying to interact with AdSense support, like, you know, like I'm sure you just rolled your eyes. It's like, there is no support. Like you have to go to forums and like ask people who aren't even uh, Google employees what's wrong, you know? And so like there's this void for actually trying to help publishers um, do well uh, with their monetization on the web that like just wasn't being filled. I mean, on the high end, a company at that time back in 2008, uh, like Federated Media, was definitely servicing the high end. And so we kind of fit in in this like middle tier there where there really wasn't anybody servicing uh, servicing those folks. And that's still true today. How that evolved over time was to um, also do the exact same thing for the advertiser side. So um, throughout BuySlide's history, like we've had some really great advertisers come through where we've um, you know spent a lot of time working with them to help them acquire uh, users profitably uh, from the publishers that we work with. Um, and like there have been some great success stories like um, you know, for example, Wix, um, you know, way back when they were one of our uh, original advertisers after they first launched the business, I think I'm going to say like 2009, maybe. And then, uh, you know, companies like Shutterstock, uh, Fotolia, I mean, like a lot of companies we've worked with all along the way, not that I'm sitting here trying to take credit for their success, but uh, along their path to success, we uh, have been, uh, we have taken part in helping them uh, do things profitably. And that's um, something we thoroughly enjoy. Like I said earlier in the inter- in the uh, podcast about um, you know nobody clicks on banner ads anymore. I mean that's kind of a lie. Like clearly people do click on them, and you know we're still helping people acquire customers profitably, but that hasn't been from just like being sedentary and continuing to do things the way we've always done them. Like we've um, had to um, you know help these folks figure out new strategies strategies that'll work in uh, 2015, 2017, as opposed to 2008. You know. Yeah, I think that's a perfect segue because uh, we're, we're about running out of time here. But I wanted to end by talking about the future uh, because you're obviously in an industry where things change pretty rapidly. Uh, and it's almost like this arms race where advertising changes and then consumers adjust their behavior and then advertising changes again, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I think it's going in a good direction where like ads today are like less obnoxious than they used to be uh, because you can't get away with the old stuff. But what do you see as like the future of the advertising industry and where are you taking buy-sell ads uh, and then as a follow-up to that, uh, you know, I think a lot of listeners are kind of early on in their companies. Like, how do you, how do you see super early nascent companies using advertising? Uh, and, you know, do you have any tips for them? So I believe the future of advertising on the web is like everything on the web, more authenticity. I think the, the web is, is amazing. It's like, you know, I can't imagine like not being online for, for uh, you know, maybe more than seven days, right? Um, or for uh, uh, like not being able to get online for for a week, so I mean it really comes down to more authenticity. Like I mean, look at ad blocker adoption rates; they're literally going through the roof. So consumers are voting with ad blockers, telling ad tech companies and publishers that they don't want to be annoyed. This kind of stuff is amazing for a business like Bislads because we do everything that is the antithesis of annoy users. At least that's what we work towards. And so, um, you know, I love seeing advertise. Uh, excuse me, consumers um, have that vote. Um, is there like a? I've got like some music blaring. Uh, I don't hear it. It sounds good for me. Whoa! Hang on, sorry. Uh, no problem. Oh wow! Sorry. Um, yeah, take so time. that actually got interrupted because I had some tab open that started automatically playing a video ad. So how, how, uh, how <laughs> ironic, right? Wow. Um, like literally as I'm on this, this, uh, this, this podcast with you, like, uh, some advertisers money was spent unwisely against me. Who's not even paying attention to the browser tab that's open. So like, <laughs> you know, I, I think the, the situation we're in with ad tech and advertising and, and making money on the web through advertising is that. It's still the wild, wild west. I mean, I, I feel like I used to refer to 2008 as the wild, wild west. I think it's even more so the wild, wild west now. Things are starting to get cleaned up now because users are able to vote with their attention through uh, methods and tools like ad blocking. You know, we, we've always felt as though companies haven't actually been out there building software in publishers' and consumers' best interest for quite a while. Uh, and that's what we exist to do. Uh, I think it's it's uh, it's fortunate with uh, indie hackers at Stripe because uh, there are some uh, you know parallels in terms of uh, what we're trying to do for advertising that Stripe was able to do for merchant processing. Uh, we're trying to bring publishers 
uh, easier access to monetization uh, by making it far more simple, but at the same time, really raising the bar for quality on both sides so that people are getting like an incredible exchange of value there in the middle. And that's our role is to uh, be in the middle and help enable that exchange of value uh, with as little friction as possible. So, I mean, I'm sure people at Stripe are sick of hearing Stripe for X, Stripe for Y, Stripe for Z uh, for the last like five years now, but... No, I can assure you, I can assure you they love it. <laughs> but that's, I mean, it's, it's, it's similar to that, right? Like we're trying to reduce friction, raise the bar for quality and um, have some fun in the, in the meantime. Awesome. I think that's, that's a good vision of the web in the future. More, more authenticity as, as users get more control and more tools that allow them to filter out the stuff that they hate. Can you tell listeners a little bit about, you know, where they can find you and learn more about you and buy, sell ads online? Yeah, sure thing. So buy, sell ads is uh, buy, sell ads.com. Uh, on Twitter at Bicel Ads, uh, myself on Twitter at Toddo, T O D D O, uh, or shoot me an email, Todd at ToddGarland.com. And yeah, I mean, feel free to reach out. Happy to, happy to chat with folks. Awesome, Todd. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, Cortland. Thanks for listening, folks. Bye. If you enjoyed listening to this conversation and you're looking for a way to help support the Andy Hackers podcast, then you should subscribe on iTunes and leave a quick rating and a review. It only takes about 30 seconds, but it actually really helps get the word out, and I would personally appreciate it very much. In addition, if you are running an internet business or if it's something that you'd like to do in the future, you should join me and a whole bunch of other internet entrepreneurs on the ndhackers.com forum. It's basically a community of like-minded individuals just giving each other feedback and helping out with ideas and landing pages and marketing and growth and other internet business-related topics. That's www.ndhackers.com slash forum. Hope to see you guys there.